podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com. Damn good coffee. And hot. Ten, ten years! Ten years! Ten! The line must be drawn here. This far, no farther. I have come here to chew bubblegum and kick ass. And I'm all out of bubblegum. Friday. I won't be. You will. No, don't. Yes, 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 yes. They are without honor. <laughs> you shall not pass. I am the law. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Chinstroker vs. Punter. I'm Mike, and our usual co-host, Paul, is not here with us for this bonus episode. However, I feel that we have more than compensated for that with a uh, special guest that we have. We have Bill Jarrett, um, owner and operator of New Zealand's largest public expo events company, Armageddon Expo. So uh, welcome to the show, Bill. Greetings. So uh, so where are we finding you this uh, this day? Whereabouts in New Zealand are you based? I'm in Christchurch. And you moved out here just before just before the earthquakes in uh, 2010. So. Oh, and where were you before? Auckland. Auckland. Okay, and so that's where you set up Armageddon and uh, worked out of prior to that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if I'd been in Christchurch when when we started, it would have been Christchurch was the first one. But yeah, no, Auckland. Since uh, when we started in '95, we were based there, and we moved down here about 15 years later. I mean, a little bit of context for, for, for listeners as, um, who may or may not know. I moved to New Zealand in, gosh, 2014 from the UK, and I was pretty active in the fandom or geek community, whatever you want to call it, from going back to the, uh, the early 90s convention going and the like. So when I moved to New Zealand, I was very keen to find out what was going on here in that regard, and very clearly the Armageddon Expo, which is held in multiple cities annually, uh, was central to that. So, uh, I mean, just to get a little bit of context. Which, from, uh, you, which shows in uh, London, uh, in England, did you do? I used to go to a lot of, have you heard of Wolf 359? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I did a bunch of those. I was very big. Um, I mean, my uh, I'm 46 now, so my fandom was very much late 80s into the early 90s. I was very much part of that. Babylon 5, uh, X-Files, Rick Berman era, Star Trek. So I was around a lot of that stuff. I mean, how about yourself? If I mean, just before we get into talking about Armageddon, um, did this come from your own fandom, or was this oh, yeah. a cynical marketing decision? No, no, hundred percent. The, the um, uh, some people think I'm kidding, but l- literally, this started as a way to pay for Doctor Who videotapes. I used to order from the Who shop in England. <laughs> wow, I can relate to that. I remember getting uh, having NTSC conversion issues with B5 episodes I'd get from the states as well. You know, these these are the first world problems that the, as pre broadbanders had to experience. Oh. But back in the glory days, so when 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 I started doing stuff in '92, um, we started working with the doctor, started working and then running the Doctor Who fan club for a few years. And um, back then, pre-internet, you'd there'd be normally one or two people in the country who would get videotapes from uh, America, 
and the video recorders would play into your suit. You have to get a special one. But so you go to these three monthly sort of Star Trek days where they would just put on all the shows that they'd screened in the last, you know, six weeks, two months. And that, that's where fandom was sort of would gather around. And then the Doctor Who days we did was sort of the same thing. It was let's get, um, let's get some, uh, tapes. Uh, videotapes of shows that have been released because they're not online. There's no online to be on and they're, um, they're not, unless they're screened on TV, you just have no way of watching them. Oh. Um, were, were they screened on TV in New Zealand back then? I mean, that's another thing I'm oh, yeah. curious about. Yeah, no, what, Doctor, what kind of treatment oh. did New Zealand get in that regard? Uh, we got everything six months to two years later than it came out. Yeah, I mean, I remember in the UK up until Satellite, it was very similar. I remember there being a uh, a two year gap in the yeah. uh, the best of both worlds cliffhanger from Star Trek: The Next Generation, and uh, because they could, I mean, that was the kicker is they could treat you like crap because you couldn't do anything else. Yeah, that's when you have the internet. It's all of a sudden it's all we have to. We'll get you the shows the day they they screen because you know you they know you're going to find them if they don't. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, I was I. Start, um, my, my core fandom is always Doctor Who. Yeah. But um, I, like most people, started off with a bit of Star Wars, had a lot, lot of action figures and stuff. And then um, later, B5, that was in the 90s, and, and obviously Trek, because there's so much of it. And that's the thing with Trek. There was so much of it. Yeah. Um, you know, and a little a flourish of the Flash and Buck Rogers and some other stuff. I mean, I pretty much watch everything, so... Yeah, I mean, I, th- I think there is a bit of a feeling, really, that, that that sort of glory days of the 90s in the sense that that was our, our first taste of live action shared universes and all of these things that are so popular. Uh, now, so, so how did the, how did your fandom then start to transition into working around um, conventions and expos? Were they something that you had attended yourself previously or was this grand? No. How, how did all that begin? No. Um, so we back in, I want to say, 92. They found uh, Tomb of the Sidemen in uh, a uh, basement in Hong Kong. Yeah. And uh, I'd sort of faded out of it a bit because there wasn't a lot of new stuff happening. And, you know, I'd go to some of the, the, the Star Trek meetings to see stuff, but that was about it. Um, and this thing got me like, oh, shit, there's, there's, I've got to see this. So I got the tape because it came out as a normal video release. And there was nobody doing anything. So we, I joined the Doctor Who Club with a couple other guys who were sort of feeling the same way. Um, but very quickly it was me, me pretty much running the thing. Mm. And, um, we did every three months we would do a video day and every month we would have a monthly meeting in my house. And after a couple of years, we decided to do a, um, uh, and a hodgepodge day, because, I mean, the problem we had with Doctor Who is there's only the stuff they're putting out on videotapes, and there's still, there was Red Dwarf, yeah. there was Star Trek, you know, so we, we started doing a little bit of something else, and some of the, the other guys decided that wasn't pure enough for them, and decided to take over the club, and I just went, fine, you, you do that, I'm going to just do a video day. So we um, we did that, and then somebody said, oh, you should do a big show. And I thought at the time, look, yeah, why the fuck not? And uh, so we did a show, uh, the first time again in December '95, and um, lost a hunk of money on it. And then um, we 
changed it back to a community center and made it a free show and made a little bit of money to pay some bills, but it was just steamrolled from there. I mean, it's always been a, a mixture of something to bring fans together when nobody was doing anything. And, um, and we've evolved quite a bit since then. There's a lot of stuff in, in the show that, uh, the show is brought to me rather than the other way around. And what was the, what was the tipping point for you? Where was the point where you felt that this was something that I don't know whether it took on a life of its own is the right term, but wh- where was the point where you just felt that this was now a thing and that this was going to continue to be part of your life? Well, I started working full time on the show in 2003. So, I mean, that, that's, that was a thing. Um, honestly, I couldn't point to a, a, a specific point. There's so much of it is, um, just ongoing. I think you, you, it's like going on a, um, going for a long walk and then realizing that you've just walked 10 miles. You know, yeah. it's like, when, when the hell did I decide to do walk this far? I'm like, I don't know. It just sort of happened. And that, that's, I couldn't point to a specific thing. I mean, clearly but, Armageddon is it's fulfilling a need uh, and a need that arguably has, has increased. And I'm just wondering, prior to Armageddon, what fandom in New Zealand was like? Were, were there conventions? Was, there, was, that, okay. was that something that occurred? Or? I mean, obviously this is just based on what I can remember, so I'm, I'm sure I've missed stuff. I know there was a John Pertwee did a convention when he was filming Wozo Gummage here, which oh, I'm yeah. still irritated that I, I missed because I was <laughs> in the country at the time. So, um, and, uh, Tom Baker did a mini convention when there was, um, uh, when I wasn't running the Doctor Who Club, which again, irritated me at the time, but, uh, it was still great to see him, but he was doing a, uh, an ad, con- a, um, uh, some New Zealand DBS. Um, there was two um, conventions called Icons, yeah, ninety three and ninety four, uh, which were pure comic conventions. Mm. Um, and I think the first one went quite well, and the second one was less so, um, uh, which is why they didn't do any more. Uh, what else? There's obviously there's the New Zealand sci-fi con that they've been running for quite a while. That's more of a literary one. Yeah. I couldn't tell you when that started though. Yeah. Um, but they're doing con Zealand, um, next year, which will yeah. be, um, the news, the world, um, sci-fi con, which is, you know, that's a lot of that, that, that's, that's a huge thing to, for them to do. And, um, but also show, and a lot of the people that I know that are involved in that, well, the ones I know have been involved in fandom for years. Yeah. So, um, and that, that con tends to be a couple of hundred people. I mean, next year will be a couple of thousand people, but generally it's a couple of hundred people more specifically literary based sure. from what I can see. I've only honestly done the show once or twice myself. And as far as, far as the, I'm just curious to, and, and this is a, quite an esoteric question, I suppose, but about around the, the sort of the, the, the culture of New Zealand and do you feel that sort of fandom or geekiness or whatever, pick your term, how as and I don't know whether you've got any point of comparison for this, but how sort of I suppose accepting as a culture do you feel New Zealand is of that? Is it oh look at these weirdos with their cosplay or what do you think the culture of New Zealand's relationship with fandom is like? I certainly when we started it was very much uh nerds. Yeah. 
You know, I, I, I pretty much the way I, I feel about it is that a lot of people are geeks. That that and that's a could be a, my, a very generic term of I'm a geek. I enjoyed Star Wars, or I, you know, I watched a Star Trek once. That kind of thing. It's a yeah. very can be a very broad term. Yeah, it's a spectrum. Yeah, but a lot of the people when I was when I certainly started it were nerds, and that's much more obsessive, much more um, not not the some of them were very intelligent, but but just generally obsessive about certain shows. And, and those were the people, because you had to be, you, you had to be obsessive about it to be invested in it because it wasn't something you could just walk around the corner or jump on, online and watch. You had to look for it. You had yeah, to hunt. The ease of access was very much a dictating factor there, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And, and, and the early nineties and, and the late nineties, it was, um, the nineties, it was a problem to do. So the show Armageddon then, was a lot smaller, a lot smaller than what we are now, but it was much more um, nerd-driven. Yeah. And as we got into the 2000s, um, it was more geek-driven. Yeah. Would be the difference. I mean, as a differential. Now, now we're all geeks. Yeah. Right. So you still get you still get the nerds attending, but they're they're by they're a massive minority compared to the general public majority of um, people who now can access so many different shows so easily, and and that is a benefit of the the movies, the TV shows, and the games and anime and the, the different sources of stuff that you can you can access. Yeah, I mean anime. I mean huge. I mean if you walk around. Yeah. Uh, an Armageddon Expo. I mean, that's the uh, that's the landscape that you that you very much see. And um, I'm, I mean, so I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it is an interesting distinction, sort of from a, from a terminology point of view. I'm just wondering as well. I mean, do you? I mean, you mentioned obviously that, that Who was your 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 core fandom, um, but I'm just wondering whether you had any kind of, I suppose, pinch me moments. Whether there were any moments, particularly in the formative years of Armageddon, where you were uh, perhaps dealing with somebody, uh, an actor or a talent, and you thought, wow, I can't believe that I'm having conversations with these people. Was there any particular one where you, or, where you, um, you had that feeling? Certain times I remember them. I remember um, there's a lot of business instances because it became a business very quickly. And a lot of what we do, a lot of what we've done, if we were a true business, then we wouldn't have done them. Yeah. <laughs> you know? For the love of the game. For the love of the game. And there's stuff that I'm still doing that falls into that category every year. Um, we've, we spend money on things that if, if we were a professional company, if we were the, um, the money grubbing corporate entity that some people actually think we are, there would be half of the kind of media stuff that we do would be a show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because New Zealand as a, New Zealand as a market is a very reserved financial market. Mm. Uh, that's me trying to say people aren't cheap, but you know, well, uh, I've, I've, I've become increasingly financially reserved, yeah. shall we say, since moving. Yeah. So I can complete, and, well, it was like, I, I've been working, uh, well, working with is probably thing. I, I I know some guys in England that run shows, and I've been to shows in England for the last twenty years. And I've been to Comic Con, you know, about eight times in the last twenty years, and I've done a few of the Australian shows, and so I've got a better feeling globally than most because I'm also dealing with people behind the scenes more. Sure. And like the English shows, 
they've been those shows who got the benefit of a lot of stuff is filmed there. So that the half, virtually every English show, half of the people, the guests attending are driving there. <laughs> yeah. So there's a big difference there, but there's also people spend the money. They, they will, you can get these guys who are minor characters in a show, but you'll get a decent return yeah. um, in terms of the response. Um, whereas with New Zealand, it's just it's it's such an expense to get people to the country alone without anything else. So we have to be a little more particular about who we bring down. Um, so a lot of what I do is try to mix the find what's popular, but also find what's um, take a risk on a lot of things. And sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't because there's a hard way to tell what's what what's is in the mass public interest. Mm. When you get like when we had Jeremy Renner, I knew that he was going to go down very well, and he did, not quite as well as I needed him to, yeah. from a business point of view. But he was still one of the biggest guests. We, well, the biggest guest we've ever hosted. Yeah, and yeah. Was, I mean, there's no there's no <laughs> metric for this. But I mean, yes. in the case of Jeremy Renner, it's you know it's movie star Jeremy Renner. You know, exactly. I mean, so there's there's points where I can go. Oh, there's certain guests that they're highlights and I've got, there's certain things that happen that I've got stories and, um, and other things, but there, there's also the quiet moments where, um, you, uh, I remember was walking through Christchurch with Peter Davison and, um, he would just whistle. And I just remember that because it was just cute. You know, it was just a little personality quirk, but it's a thing that I got to enjoy. So yeah, that's a wonderful unguarded moment that you don't tend to see. From I was just, just him, just do, 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 whistling away. And you're just like, you know, okay. <laughs> Here I am, uh-huh. whistling Peter Davidson. Uh, I'm just wondering, you mentioned the sort of, obviously the, the, um, the geographic challenges specific, yeah, specific to New much. Zealand. New Zealand is the ass end of the world. I mean, yeah. it really, is. it, it's, it's a glorious ass. <laughs> it is right at the bottom of the planet. And so if I don't think Kiwis appreciated as much as they used to, because we used to be so disconnected, but um, we're, um, we're a lot more connected now, but still people don't realize how far away we are from everything. Even, even Australia we're three or four hours from, and it's, it's enough of a distance that, just adding that on to people coming down is, a, is an issue. So how does how does that factor in from a logistics perspective then? I mean, is it for? I mean, I mean, clearly, um, you know, subject to change is very much a, a byword for any large scale yeah. event. And so, do you find yourself having to lock people in particularly early, or do you find that it's more of a wait and see kind of situation? It depends on the guest. Um, from my end, like uh, we've got shows in April and June. And in October next year, I've got pretty much the entire guest lineup set for the April and June shows. That is early for most international shows. Yeah. But again, uh, even 10, 15 years ago, we, um, I've been dealing with a lot of different agents. I've got a lot of different contexts that are built up over many years. And 10 and 15 years ago, we would, be like, oh, come down for a holiday or, or can show or just you were working, you were working around film dates. Sure. Now you're working around other conventions. Yeah. Yeah. I'll because be there's so many events in just in America alone, there's so many things. And if a guest wants to come down to New Zealand, that helps. But even when they want to come down, sometimes it just, just the stars don't align because you just can't make it. So, um, 
I was trying to get a specific guest for um, April um, next year. Hmm. I won't say who because I'm still working on it. Um, but it was a decent guest. And I talked to his agent about June and he was like, oh, no, no, he won't commit this early. And I, I just I, – so I – and then about a week later, I noticed that there was a, um, a, con- a dedicated convention in April on those dates that he was going to. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, so I went back to the agent and said, "Look, <laughs> obviously he will commit this early. He's doing this, and uh, it's you. So more and more, I'm having to try to get in a little early to try to uh, put my hand up and make sure people are aware we're here." What about the actual? I mean, again, going back to logistics. What about the actual date itself? Is it? Do you feel that? You know, if you do the work in the months leading up to it, the day itself is okay, or is it always a heart attack-inducing, um, stressful experience? Do you get to enjoy them? I suppose is what I'm asking, or is it very much just death on one the whole time? No, when when we when we first started the show, um, it was work, 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 work. No, it was just all full on, never stop. Boom. The weekend itself was fun. But it was a lot of work, particularly for me. Yeah. And as we sort of progressed, probably, I don't know, I, I would say 10 years, but maybe a bit longer, actually. There's there's points where there was a one point I was in Auckland at the A doing the show at the AATS Center. And I spilled coffee on myself. And I'm sitting there, stressed to hell, burning balls and, and just thing. And, and my wife was like, you're too, you're doing too much. You need to pull back. And she went and did some stuff. And it was one of those times when I just realized I was doing too much that I needed to, um, start delegating. There's always that issue of, uh, you don't want to be a control freak. And I, and I, to a degree, because I, I'd created it and built up so much of it. It wasn't so much me, being a control freak, it was me having to start delegating areas that I'd, I'd historically been involved with because originally they were this big, you know, small, and then they got to be a lot bigger. So um, whereas up to this now, when we do the show, I, I've i got st- – like the last Auckland show, I was busy all weekend, um, but I didn't really have a dedicated job. You know, there's certain things I need to go to the bank. I need to, you know, make sure some things were checked. But I, I have um, a person doing the stage, a person handling the guest aspect, a person, you know, most of the jobs somebody else is doing, I'm really just there if they need somebody who can make a decision. Yeah, yeah. And and that's, some, how, that's how it should be. Yeah. And some shows I'm surprisingly just, I wouldn't say bored, but I'm definitely not actively involved in it as much. Um, and other shows, I'm I'm crazily involved. And like this last Auckland one, a couple of months back, I was that was the, one of the busiest Auckland shows for me in a number of years. Um, so you know, yeah, yeah, fairies, fairies. Um, okay, well, one last uh, thing I wanted to um, throw you away that I'm very curious about that I think you're very well placed to uh, to, to give a perspective on is something that we've discussed a lot on the show partly due to our age and how long we've been involved in fandom. But I'm just curious to get your take on sort of changes in fandom. I mean, you talked before about how the um, the accessibility of content, obviously, has had a dramatic effect on on how niche um, and the sort of the mindset of geeks. But I'm just wondering whether you feel that there's been any sort of real key moments of change, particularly around maybe um, 
a, a more of a gender balance in fandom or any changes in that regard? Uh, well, what are your feelings in the time that you've been professionally involved in, um, in, in fandom as a culture and changes related to that? Well, probably, okay, there's a number. I mean, there's, always, there's a lot of changes, but I also think that it's pretty much the same. Yeah. Um, definitely the gender change is probably one of the biggest. Um, and that's we when we started the show, um, or maybe five years after we started, we started doing surveys and whatnot. We were seventy percent male, thirty percent female. Yeah. And now we're fifty fifty, maybe even a little higher female sometimes. Yeah. Um, which is a big shift, but also one because women are, and I'm using air quotes, allowed to enjoy this stuff now. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, there was definitely girl, women involved in fandom when I started. Um, they're I mean, always I mean, been, those and, Star Trek conventions in the seventies were were run by female fans. Yeah. Oh yeah. And, I mean, I know I know a bunch of most of the conventions that I knew that I worked with in Australia, uh, Best of Both Worlds, and um, the Star Trek guys were female run. Um, but uh, it was definitely seen as a guys thing, right? Um, but again, some th- preconceptions are based on. Um, oh, it, this is it's a nerdy guys thing, and it's this is the age group, and da 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 da. But it's purely based around a bunch of people sitting around and going, "Oh, this is what I think." Not um, whereas now you have thousands of people, so you can see who the audience is. You have more of an o- online interaction. Um, but my feeling is that the the audience itself. Uh, <sighs> Gender and um, and age has changed quite a bit, but the actual audience itself hasn't. I I think that the issues you deal with in terms of people trolling, people being um, entitled, toxic fandom, I believe is the term that's quite that popular. Even, at the moment. Toxic fandom that depends on if they're even fans. Um, uh, I think it comes down to entitlement more than anything else. And then it might be the same thing, but you get fans that are, um, I went to this latest Star Wars film and I didn't like it because I think that I, you know, we deserve something better. We deserve this. I'm like, we don't deserve shit. <laughs> yeah. It's a sense of shared ownership, I think. Isn't yeah. It? Yes. And, and we, and the studios promote that. Like the, um, Supernatural's been running 15 years, and the hashtag SPN family is part of any social media thing. And I always find that interesting because it's a it's a corporate product that they're encouraging the fans to feel like they have an ownership of when they don't have an ownership of. And whether they're listening to them or not is dubious, but it's it's um, uh, there's definitely I, I've seen areas where. It's very publicly co- um, courting fandom, very publicly saying, you know, we love you guys and you're geeks. And then behind the scenes, it's very much, don't talk to me, I'm over here. Yeah. You know, it so, don't exist. Very much so. Um, and that, that's a generalization. And there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of the people who are working on Star Wars now grew up with Star Wars. Yeah. A lot of the people who are working on Doctor Who grew up with Doctor Who. And so you have a different generation making these things. And so it does mean we get a lot of fan service. I mean, like the Crisis on Infinite Earths um, CW show yeah. at the moment, it's just it's – it's, half of that is fan wank. And it's yeah. 
brilliant. I mean, I'll just you it's said a, it's like, a fever dream. Of fan I know service. that is something that you wouldn't have got. You only you're getting because they're going. This is what the fans want. We're giving it to them. Yes. So there 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 are changes, but fandom itself. I feel is pretty much the same. I, I think that you still have people who are entitled. You still have people who just want to enjoy the thing. Um, the only difference is that the the so, social media aspect of it means that the loudest voices in the room seem to get heard the most. But most of the time, they're not the ones that you need to worry about. Because uh, essentially, it's if you have a 100 fans in a room um, – Indicative of a social audience. Um, 20 of them will like a post. So 20 of them will sort of go, you know, well, did you like this? And they'll put their hands up and the others will sort of go, I don't want, I don't want to commit. Right. And then you go, okay, who wants to ask a question? 10 of them will come up and ask a question. Right. And, um, of those 10, you'll, you'll, you'll have one or two of them that will just go, I didn't like this. And they'll be the ones that you have to take the microphone off because they don't want to stop talking. And that's the problem is those are the people who are talking more in fandom. You get some people who are just like, oh, we, you know, whenever you put anything negative, uh, like we're having a problem, the fans will, will always go, we love you, we support you, you know, and that's great to see. But after a day, it fades down to people going, oh, you shouldn't be so fucking useless at what you do. And, yeah. and you know, that kind of stuff. But it just because – you can shout in a crowd. It doesn't make what you have to say the most important thing, nor does it make it the thing that everybody else has, should have to listen to. Yeah. And it drives the, um, drives the conversation more than it should. It, it, like, uh, I don't know when this is coming out, but obviously Star Wars has just come out. Yeah. yeah. Now, I remember going to see, um, Last Jedi and, at the time, people were panning it. I mean, it was just didn't like this, didn't like that. And then just before the, the Rise of Skywalker comes out, people are like, wow, what a masterpiece that last film was. You're stupid if you didn't enjoy yeah, it. Yeah, it's been held up as a sort of contrasting, on a contrasting pedestal to the new one now that everyone has a whole set of new grievances. <laughs> well, I have to say that after seeing the new one, it made me appreciate the last one so much more. Yeah, and I, the think, last I think one, the bravery of the choices shown through well, they tried to do what people I think with that one is I looked at it as they were trying to do an empire yeah you look at Empire Strikes Back is the best Star Wars film yeah because Star Wars is a shitty film I mean it's a good it's a fun film it's a great but, movie yes but it's a shit exactly it's a shitty film if you really watch it but it's just got all it's just the elements are just right and you can feel nostalgic about it right but Empire is a good there's a great film. Yeah, there's great craft in that film. Yeah, and and it's also great because they did different things. Um, the Last Jedi was them doing was them going. We're going to do something totally different to what we did. It was them trying to make Empire and succeeding, but just not giving enough of the fan wank that people wanted. Yeah, you know. I think that if they, that entitlement there as well. I think uh, to a degree. I think if they treated Luke better then I think the fan reaction would have been better for the film because it's, it's a good, solid film. This last one is a piece of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's, yeah it's, I mean, it's, 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 I think that they were doing very different things. I mean, this last one very much is um, 
you know, when you go to see a band live, they're not going to end with their experimental new single. You know, they're no. going to end with the hit. No, I, I knew that, but I also remember going to see Return of the Jedi and coming out going, after Empire, it didn't have the same punch. It was a softer softer kind of film with some good moments in it. And I remember enjoying it, but not having the same post-Empire high. Yeah. This one, so much further down the line. And it's just because I think it was – there's a scene in the movie, and I'm not spoiling anything here. So there's a scene in the movie where um, three of the rebel characters are in an Imperial base, and they're running through, and they're killing stormtroopers. Yes. And then they get caught. And the stormtroopers go, put down your guns. And they, they have to tell them twice to put down the guns. They put down the guns, right? And that's, that scene is horrific because it lasts about 30 seconds. They essentially run through and kill, I want to say 20. It could be less. could be more stormtroopers mm. really easily. Like they walk in and bam, 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 bam. bam and it, it's, like a, it's like a video game set on easy mode. They're just killing these guys left, and they're rolling in the ground, and they, run, and they keep running. And they finally catch them, and nobody gets shot. And they're like, I know you've just killed 20 of my friends, but we're going to hold you and tell you to hit surrender first. <laughs> and it's bullshit. It's, it, they, it just felt so basically lazy and, oh, my God. Um, but I also I, – I do tend to – that that – when you watch a movie like that fresh, you're going to obsess over those little things. It'll be a little later where you start feeling like overall, I enjoyed the film. Overall, I enjoyed the last, the, the rise of Skywalker. Um, but I went to see, and I sound like an entitled fan. I went to see the first new of the new Star Wars. I went to see multiple times. I just kept going to see it because I really enjoyed it because it was nostalgic. Yeah. Well, there seems to be this new sort of, um, I don't know whether it's sidequel. I think requel is the word that a lot of people are using. And The Force Awakens falls into this category. The recent Terminator film does as well, where you've got these reboot movies where they are essentially remakes of the original film, but with just enough elements and cast from the original ones to mm. also be positioned as a sequel. And it seems to be that that's the... Yeah, that's what sequels generally were. They're pretty much, we know we're going to do the same movie again. We're just going to tweak it. And you can't do that with a film that was 30 years ago because it's just it's a totally – you're living in a different world. I don't know. I mean, I, like I'm enjoying The Mandal. I think like The Mandalorian people are enjoying a lot because it feels more like the original Star Wars film. Yeah, and I don't, th I don't think it has the self-consciousness of the films as well. Because, no. I mean, I realise that being the lead show on a gigantic new streaming platform is hardly flying under the radar, but relatively mm. speaking to the films, I think they were kind of just left to get on with it. I think they also did a lot of – there's a lot of fan service in there. There was there was a sort of thing on Twitter the other day that in the latest episode, there's this um, uh, troop transport pulls up uh, yeah. and stormtroopers get off, right? And somebody put up, here's a picture of this toy from the 80s that's the troop transport. That was never that was in any of the movies. Never <laughs> in anything, right? It's like Boba Fett's gun is from the cartoon that he did. And it's that kind of shit that's just that that's the stuff that makes people like. Like back in um back in two thousand, uh was it ninety nine, two thousand, when X Men came out. I remember going to see it and people were like still at the time they was bitching about um oh they're in leather, they're not in costumes and blah blah blah. And then the minute Storm's eyes turned white and she was and I was like 
that that's my fan service. Give me a little bit of that and I'm good. I don't expect you to be I don't expect them to be in spandex. I don't expect them to be comic specific. I understand it's a different reality, but you gotta throw us a bone. Yeah. And I think also yeah. there's I think there's a there's an element of fan credential at work there. I mean, a, another good example of that with The Mandalorian, where I almost dropped my popcorn, was there's a sequence in, I think, the third episode where uh, the lead character is climbing up the side of a sandcrawler, and it's based on a level from the SNES, uh, the Super Nintendo Star Wars game. And I saw that, and I was just like, wow, you guys really are earning your, your credentials. But that's also because you've got people... Like, I'm 48, so I'm same sort of yep. age group as you. You've got people our age who grew up with the stuff, played with the toys when they were 10, yeah. <laughs> um, who are working on this now. So you're going to get a lot more of that. There is a bit more reverence for it. but And there's I, – I mean, I'm – I like to think of myself as an obsessive fan, but I, the, I'm, I used to be. I'm a, lot, I'm a little further down the line than I was. There's people for every, every show, the Star Wars, anime, that are right up there, that obsessive knowledge of everything that you need to know. Um, and a lot of them, if they're really into it, are now working in special effects or in other things. So that's where you can get these shows that are just brilliant. You just touched on something there, um, I just want to mention for a moment. I mean, in regards to New Zealand and fandom, how much was Lord of the Rings a factor in this? Did, 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 was, or was that more of a bringing people from outside of the country into the country? Did you see a spike or a bump or any noticeable changes to your business? Lord of the, Lord of the Rings was good. I mean, there's definitely, I think Kiwis are more, I don't know, I think they're, they're fans of it because they're proud of it. I don't know that they're fans of it because they actively enjoyed it. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously they did, but I think that the, there's a level of we're, we're proud that this thing was made here yeah. and we're going to support it. So it's more right? of a home team thing. Yeah. 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 Very much so. Yes. Home team. That's a great analogy for it. But the problem I always have, like as a show is just getting people from any kind of production is not very difficult. Yeah. I mean, we've done it. But there's a lot of stuff that happens in this country that can't. They come, they film, they go, and you don't get a look in either way. Yeah, I suppose, and, I suppose from people like from outsiders' perspective, there's this feeling of like, well, you know, they're filming all of these TV shows. You know, they they're shooting Spartacus on the they were shooting yeah. Spartacus on the green screens. There's this feeling that there's just a huge sub community. But uh, I'm guessing so. They're gone as soon as they are finished. Then presumably. Well, and that's the problem with a movie. You don't have a lot of opportunity with a tv show you can you can do stuff but the problem there is like spartacus is a good example um by the time we could start looking at guests it, the show has to be on air for two or three years of course. you know and by the time they get to but by the time they season one screens more than likely they're filming season two yeah so you've got to wait for it to screen so people give a shit about who the guest is. And so you're up to season three by then. And that's if it gets to season three. Like well, we, so we it's like a Goldilocks zone of engagement. that yeah. you have to. And the, the, I, I tend to think I've always thought that a show needs to have about four seasons for people to really commit to it, yeah. to really, to really have that fandom that will go, I want to meet these guys. Um, you can do it after a season, but there's, you need that time to build it up to really, to, for people to know that I'm investing in myself in something that's going to be around for a while. Yeah. Because I don't, I've, I've been hurt before by loving a show that's died in the first season. 
Um, are there any current fandoms that that are more sort of vociferous and um, just full on at the moment than others? Is what, what's sort of bubbling up at the moment? Do you, have you always been chugging away, and that's that'll be supernatural yeah, is yeah. chugging away. But the that's finishes next year, yeah, and honestly. Years. I could see Supernatural staying around for a while, but it'll fade back pretty quickly. Mm. All shows do. The minute they're off the air, you, you never lose the fandom, but the, the they switch from one to the other. They, they finish Smallville, uh, finish Smallville, and go, "Oh, Arrow's on. Let's watch that." Yeah, I remember. So, I remember jumping ship from Buffy to Smallville, and yeah. you know, to Roswell, and there was all of these sort yeah. of. You're still like the stuff that you watched. It just means that you're, because you know you're not going to get any more of it, you, your level of, of interaction with it dies down. And that'll happen with Supernatural when it does. But um, Lucifer is very popular. Mm. Get a lot of that. Harry Potter, and the movie one's the interesting one. The Harry Potter specifically stayed around for a bit. Yeah. But I think that's because people are still, new people are reading the books. There's always stuff happening there, so that the multimedia you know, element of that is a big yeah. driver, isn't it? Doctor Who has always been a big one. Yeah, um, that, that fade, comes and goes, and it does depend on who you've got, but it, it's still it's a big factor as well. Yes, big okay, well, well, thanks so much for your time, Bill. I really appreciate it, um, particularly on the uh, over the Christmas holidays in the morning. Um, I was just wondering if you could just tell our listeners where they can find information about Armageddon Expo, where your main site, any any social media that you want to mention? Just Armageddon Expo. Just type it in. Honestly, if you just type in Armageddon New Zealand, you'll find us online. We've got um, how we've got also all the socials. So again, we're just Armageddon. We're not we're not hard to find. It's one of the advantages of being around. Next year, will be twenty five years. Um, we're we're pretty active on Facebook, particularly, but uh, Twitter and uh, Instagram, and I even do a little bit of TikTok as well. Wonderful. Uh, well, how youthful of you. I, uh, most of the people, and I have actual staff, are, are all in their 20s. So they're, um, I'm, uh, I enjoy this, I enjoy social media, but I'm not particularly good at it. I'd imagine, particularly on the day of an event, that, I mean, a, a, an Armageddon Expo is an extremely TikTokable event, yeah. as I would imagine. Oh, very much so. But I, 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 more and more, I'm staying away from social media, more because my responses tend to be a little, um, old man waving with a stick yeah um, i mean i find for my own mental health i'm actually uh yeah uh, it's, it's a bit of that back away from those but uh, yeah. but um but thanks again for your time and uh, i look forward to seeing you in wellington at the next event nice see you there Podcast is part of the Pod Syndicate family. For more criminally compelling shows, articles, and conversations, head to wearepodsyndicate.com.